Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Matthew. And again, we're in Matthew chapter 13, and today we're talking about the parable of the mustard seed. You know, it's incredible. Jesus could put into a very simple parable in our Bibles today, this is only two verses long, that really would predict the course of history following his lifetime. So let's go look at this parable. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 31. Another parable he put before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, I'd like to begin with how not to understand this parable. I heard a teacher say, well, Jesus is the tree and we're the birdies resting delightfully in the branches. Now, that's like reading the Bible with whatever framework you might have in your mind and say, well, that really doesn't mean too much other than we're happy to be Christians nesting with Jesus. That's not exactly what it's talking about. And just out of curiosity, I looked up the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible which I have recommended and I recommend to you if you and your family wants to dig a little deeper into Scripture. I wanted to see what they said and if they could get beyond that we're birdies nesting in the branches. Basically, the Ignatius Catholic Bible study in very, very succinct form nailed it. First thing they mentioned, Jesus is mentioning a very stark contrast between the size of the kingdom's beginning and its growth. And if again, if remember in our last go-around, we identified the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven in Matthew, same as mentions the kingdom of God in Luke and in Mark. That's the church. That's the expression of the kingdom of God in this age. And it would start in a very insignificant way, really just overlooked by the world, but it would have growth beyond compare. And it's interesting to me that sometimes Christians are infected with the very opposite of the kingdom type of growth that Jesus generally attaches to things he does for the long run. And what am I talking about? Well, if you go on the internet today, you know, they have all these positive thinker guys and seminars, and some of them are titled like, Go Big or Go Home. And really, the parable of the mustard seed is the flip side of that. It's the very opposite. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Messiah, the one who is destined to rule this world, started with a band of 12 men. None of them were 
what, the ruler class or even the professional class. A lot of them are fishermen. And then he had another band beyond the 12 of about 70, but that's not really much when you want to reach the whole world, including the Gentile nations. The Messiah was often thought of as something simply for the Jewish people, but God's gift through Abraham was to the Jewish people and to the entire nations of the world. And just giving you kind of an advanced hit, the birds aren't just little birdies, the birds are the nations of the world. And here in two verses, Jesus is outlining for you the course of world history, particularly Western history, in two verses. It just blows my mind to see this. So, a good way to interpret the Bible, in fact, a great way to interpret the Bible is with the Bible, and that includes the Old Testament. For instance, a lot of people, when they begin reading the Bible, where do they go? Well, they don't go to Genesis, they don't go to Matthew, they start with the book of Revelation and get totally, completely confused and overwhelmed, and they just give up. I mean, what are these things being described here? Well, I'm going to give you a hint. We're not studying the book of Revelation, but I'm trying to bring home the fact that we want to use the Bible to understand the Bible. The book of Revelation contains more Old Testament references than any other New Testament book. In fact, if you had a collection of verses in Revelation, one of those things that you can't begin to understand, sometimes those pictures in the book of Revelation contain four or five Old Testament references or allusions to things described in the Old Testament. So if you want to understand what these things are, rather than just kind of looking at it and like saying, oh, this is about our nesting as birdies with Jesus, you actually go to the Bible itself and say, well, what do birds nesting in trees mean? Is there anything in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, because Jesus is just on the scene? We don't have the the uh, New Testament written yet. So the so the context here, in understanding the parable of the mustard seed, is there anything in someone's mind that knows the Old Testament that would apply here? And it certainly does. It's something that's pretty important. Let's go to the Old Testament to Daniel chapter 4 and verse 10, and just put this in context, uh, the king of Babylon, the Babylonian empire, wasn't just a nation, it was an empire that had conquered many other nations. And, or sometimes they came to the nations, not with the sword necessarily, but for the opportunity for them to surrender to the authority of the king of Babylon. And if you did that, you'd have to uh, swear your obedience, and then you'd have to give a tribute, and that's kind of like a tithe, 10% to the king of kings, but there was a, a real good deal for other nations in that they would get protection. So if you were a small or mid-sized nation, Uh, a smaller or a less influential king, and somebody was ready to attack you, if you were in union 
with the king of kings, the king of Babylon, well, then you are in good shape. And this is the vision that the first king of kings in a succession of four world empires said back in Daniel 4. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the earth. So in other words, it's become a huge tree. Its leaves were fair, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the air dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. And basically what this is describing is the Babylonian empire and the birds of the air finding a, a place of being, so to speak, in the world stage represented the various nations under this great empire. In fact, if you go also to Ezekiel chapter 31, the Egyptian empire with Pharaoh at its head, Pharaoh was also a king of other kings and had an arrangement like this. And guess how Ezekiel describes it? The same way that Daniel describes it, the same way that Jesus describes it. A great tree with birds and beasts dwelling securely in its midst. So this is what we're basically having. And it's Jesus is saying the beginnings of the church— will result eventually in something way beyond its initial, basically, conception. It would be a worldwide kingdom in which the pagan world empires of the Old Testament era were simply foreshadowing in an incomplete manner what the kingdom of God would be in the New Testament. Because if you go back to Daniel, he goes through four world empires, starting with Babylon and ending with Rome, and then out of Rome would come the kingdom of God. And so this is what the parable of the mustard seed is about. Again, two verses, and who in the world would thought that particularly Western world history would have such an impact from this band of 12 disciples of Jesus. And really what this vision is, is what we call today Christendom. And I realize that many Christians don't really know what that term means, or why do we have a Catholic college named Christendom College? I mean, is that just a nice way to say we're a Christian college? Well, yes, but more. Christianity is more than having Jesus in our hearts. Christianity is destined to have a worldwide impact. And really, the Catholic Church, as the expression of God's rule on earth, um, and this is Jesus ruling through, uh, that influence from about roughly, this is very roughly, about 1000 to 1400 AD, was the expression of Christ's kingdom that we refer to as Christendom. And it wasn't like, though, the Babylonian or the Egyptian or the Persian or the Greek or the Roman empires. Why? 
because their rule was basically with the sword. Uh, they flashed the sword and you submitted. They flashed the sword you didn't submit, and they conquered you. But in any case, it was with the sword. Now it's with the gospel. It's working not by external compulsion, but from the inside out. Now, let me just be point blank and listen carefully to what I say, because this is going to shock you a little bit. And that's okay to be shocked every now and then, right? Uh, I first need to say two things. First, I love the United States. Two, I love our Constitution. And just by way of a P.S., I wish more of our leaders would actually follow our Constitution. But nonetheless, I love our Constitution. But let me say something that may shock you. Our system of government in the United States represents a radical break from medieval Christendom. In America, the church isn't united with the state. And I'm not talking about the church uh, dominating the state, state dominating the church, or a merging of church and state. But in Christendom, it, it was a really like a covenant, a covenant like covenant of marriage. It's joining the two into one whole. And you each had a sphere, the civil sphere, the religious sphere. But in Christendom, the influence of the Catholic faith was able to permeate the civil government. Our system of government in the United States, again, I love the United States, I love the Constitution of the United States, but we are not living in this mustard seed vision that Jesus presents to us. The modern world has really radically separated church and state, um, although that's not in our Constitution, by the way, but we don't have a state church in a sense that we have a church that our country has agreed on, that this is our point of unity, our cohesion, and, and law. No, that's that's been separated, and in my opinion, we're having a lot of repercussions coming from that. So what where does this stand? Uh, because in the really you have in the modern world, and particularly with the Protestant Reformation, there's a number of things going on. But in the Protestant Reformation, it spread where a number of rising nation states separated from the Catholic Church. This is, in other words, a breaking up of Christendom. And some of the reasons the kings and the leaders of these nation states that went Protestant, the way they did that, they may not have been overly concerned with one church versus another. What they wanted was their radical independence. They wanted a, a state without the influence of the church, without the two being really in union with each other, influencing each other. Uh, they wanted the autonomy from the Catholic Church. And so that's what happened with the Protestant Reformation. The countries, there's so many countries that were formerly a part of Christendom, separated. And then as the modern world progressed, these nations that were, say, Protestant state churches became more and more secular because they basically detached from the one church that Christ 
put here on earth in order that his kingdom could grow and expand to the Gentile nations of the world. Okay? Now, in fairness, and I'm trying to be fair, and people don't like me to be fair all the time, because I want to be fair to the Protestants too. I'll say this. The Catholic Church at the time of the Protestant Reformation was not perfect. And I don't know whoever's teaching you apologetics, but if you're unwilling to at least recognize that, you'll have a very, very difficult time persuading your Protestant friends of that, okay? Because the church was never predicted to be perfect, and we've already covered that in these family Bible studies, and it wasn't perfect at the time of the Reformation. And in particular, this is something that might bring us to some very deep reflection. Perhaps the Catholic Church, which is the kingdom of God, that's in a sense that fifth kingdom. You had those four pagan world empires, Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and Rome. And then out of Rome grows the kingdom of God. Now, the church as the kingdom of God is a kingdom. It's hierarchical with Jesus at its head. But sometimes the temptation might be to take on some of the trappings and principles of that pagan Roman Empire. In other words, uh, what do emperors like? Well, I guess they like money and prestige and power, and yet our kingdom is led by a Messiah that rode into into Jerusalem on a donkey. And it's very interesting to me, um, just so you know, in case you're a new listener to Faith and Family, I did time in jail. Uh, I think I'm one of only two uh, radio Catholic radio hosts that spent time in jail, but Al Cresta and I both up. Op- uh, participated in Operation Rescue, where you peacefully sit down in front of abortion clinic, block the door so no abortions take place that day, and you get thrown in jail. And I got thrown in jail for, for doing that. And I was there for a while. I was a Protestant minister at the time. And lo and behold, much to uh, our surprise, our local Catholic bishop came to visit us and encourage us and pray with us, and we asked him if he wouldn't mind calling our poor wives who are wondering what's happening with their husbands who are in the jail and the county road gang and all this. But the uh, prisoners were very interesting while we were in jail in that they knew that we shouldn't be there for trespassing. You're usually, you know, a wrist slap and you spend the night in jail. And We had a two or three weeks on the road gang instead. And, you know, we had a good relationship. We helped the prisoners with their schoolwork because if you did schoolwork while you're in jail, you got out sooner. Um, They set up a little pulpit for me to do preaching on Sunday morning to the prisoners. They wanted it. I did it. And it was very interesting. As the bishop was leaving, they all heard what was going on. They crowded to these little narrow windows where we could see out. And they only wanted to know one thing about the bishop. What did he drive? And I go, oh, I hope, I hope Bishop Nevis doesn't have some kind of fancy limousine because they're just going to think very little of him. Uh, somehow it got across even to these prisoners that 
donkey riding, and I'm not saying the bishop has to ride a donkey, but this humility and not looking for earthly kind of kingdom building when we're talking about the church, but that real humility. And fortunately, Bishop Nevins came out with the junkiest old cheap white car. And okay, he's real. Do you get what I'm saying? And I think we can sometimes, even as conservative Catholics, get really excited about the kind of Roman Empire trappings rather than the kingdom of God trappings. That's just food for thought. And, you know, if we change that, uh, maybe, maybe we could make a huge difference in making our country a Catholic one because that's the vision of the mustard seed. It's not a vision of having thousands of different Christian groups. No, it's one. It's one kingdom he set up. Um, it wasn't a whole bunch of little ones. Nope, it's one big one. And I know what you're thinking. Steve, you're dreaming. Well, I am. It's okay to have a dream. And let me tell you about my dream. My dream began on September 8th, 1565. Because on September 8th, 1565, 56 years before the pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock, which, by the way, is perhaps the, the most important date in American history, the most important date in American history, September 8th, 1565, a Catholic priest, Father Mendoza, carrying a cross, came up on the beach of St. Augustine, Florida, carrying a cross, praising God, and the crew marched up behind the cross. He planted the cross in the sand. All the uh, sailors and soldiers that were on the ship knelt before the cross. Uh, Native Americans gathered in quickly because they wanted to see what, what was going on and when they saw everyone kneel before the cross, they too knelt before the cross. And that was the establishment of the first permanent settlement uh, of Christians in what is today the United States of America. That is the founding of this country. And it's very interesting, both the Native Americans and the Catholics who came to St. Augustine had a great meal of celebration together afterwards. As far as I know, there was no turkey. Sorry. And it's interesting, too, that on September 8th, every year, it's the Feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I could do a whole lesson on this, but so often the icon of America is the Statue of Liberty, and I definitely enjoy liberty, but that came from France right after the French Revolution, which vehemently attacked the Catholic Church. And Mary is the icon of liberty. True freedom comes from humble obedience to the will of the Lord. Now, those missions from St. Augustine flowed outward. I don't know if you're aware, as far north as Virginia and as far west as Texas, and the first Marian shrine in the United States is located right there at the landing site in St. Augustine, Florida. Now, I've often thought, 
This is the founding of America. Uh, school children are not taught it. I doubt if many Catholic children are aware of it. But, you know, could the founding of America be related to its destiny? Because I can tell you, when you simply vote by majority rule what is right and what is wrong, it ends in disaster. Um, it's the rules begin with, this is why you have the influence of the church. You have the Ten Commandments. You have the moral teachings of Jesus, the encouragement to take care of the downtrodden and the poor. Uh, you have natural law. And it's just not, you just don't vote things like up or down like abortion. Uh, no, certain things are right and wrong. And, and this isn't going to end well simply doing majority rule. So how in the world could the parable of the mustard seed relate to, and I confess it's a dream, but the future of America? Well, uh, I would say first, seriously reconsider what Christ's kingdom should look like. Um, use my bishop who came to visit us in jail as a thing. Uh, it's not just prisoners looking. A lot of people are looking. And do we kind of get all excited about symbols of great prestige and wealth and power? Or is it simplicity and humility? Just, just an idea to consider. And then a strategy. Start small like a mustard seed. Um, the go big, go home is not the strategy of the kingdom of heaven. Um, God delights in using things that seemingly have no effect whatsoever. Somebody said this, and I forgot who it was, but I haven't forgot it. The Reformation of America will not arrive on Air Force One. As important as elections are, other things are more important. Like what, you say? Well, what about a few families just decide to get together on September 8th and kneel at what now is a 208-foot cross at St. Augustine and pray for our country, pray for the recovery of our country? Uh, there's a plaque there at the foot of that cross that says this cross marks the approximate site where in 1565, the cross of Christianity was first permanently planted in is what is now the United States. The mustard seed strategy has power beyond which anybody could ever conceive of. It affected the whole world once, and who knows, maybe again. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 452 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.